Jeffrey in just a bit, but this morning we continue thinking about our purpose as a church, what, what it is that God wants us doing here at Gray Road. And I want us to begin actually again by reading our purpose statement together just to get these words to set our minds on uh, what it is that we are purposed to do. So if we could put that up. See this? It wasn't you, Ian. See? Ian, it wasn't you. It was the technology. I'm telling you. Let's read it together. Gray Road Baptist Church exists to glorify God by exalting Jesus in passionate worship, equipping Christians for life and service, encouraging one another in meaningful fellowship, and engaging the world with the gospel. This week we're going to talk about equipping Christians for life and service. If you're not familiar with the idea of equipping, it means to have everything that you need for whatever it is you're going to do. So if you are going to take an international trip, for example, you need a passport, you need a plane ticket, you need hotel reservations, you need luggage, maybe you need some understanding about the culture, maybe a few key phrases in the language, donde esta el baño, right? Where is the bathroom? These are important things to know. Uh, when you go somewhere else. All of those kinds of things equip you for the trip. Uh, several years ago, on my second trip to India, I was meant to go and teach as part of the Delhi Bible Institute's uh, course on expository preaching. And so I go, and I arrive, and I'm going to teach and as I get ready to go from the room where I'm staying to the room where I'm teaching, I realize that I'm not fully equipped. I left my Bible in the United States. Now, I went there to teach preaching. <laughs> you think that's like preaching 101, right? Take your Bible with you when you go. Uh, but I completely forgot, so there's egg all over my face, and I go to Isaac Shaw. I say, Isaac, could I just get one thing from you that I'm going to need for the class? He said, what is it? I said, a Bible. And he, lo <laughs> he looked at me, and he shook his head, and he laughed, and he got me a Bible. Thankfully, it wasn't in Hindi. It was in English, and so we could uh, go on. But then I was ready. I was equipped. <clears throat> In the journey that is the Christian life, we need to be equipped. We need to have all that we need in order to live for God, to do what He asks us to do, to serve Him, even to suffer well. We need to be equipped uh, in our, for our work lives, for single life, for married life, for parenting, for grandparenting. We need to be equipped so that we can best avoid sinning. We need to be equipped so that when we do sin, we respond to it properly. We need to be equipped to live in a world that doesn't simply reject God's authority in the Bible, but puts forward its own authority in its own messages. We need to be equipped. And unlike my trip to India, we can't leave our Bibles at home. Now, you may not always have a physical Bible with you wherever you go. You may not be able to flip open that app, but 
let me tell you, friends, the Bible and its truth needs to walk into every room with us, into every conversation with us, into every circumstance with us. And equipping Christians for life and service is part of what God calls the church to do. So elders are meant to equip the saints for the work of ministry, according to Ephesians 4, verse 12. We do this by teaching the Bible, which, according to 2 Timothy 3, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God uh, may be equipped for every good work. Do you want to be equipped for every good work? Do you want to have everything that you need for everything God asks of you? Well, then you must be equipped with the Bible. And here in 2 Peter, Peter the apostle is equipping Christians. Before we get to chapter 3, if you just look at chapter 1, verse 12, Peter writes, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth you have. I think it right, as long as I am in the body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort, so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter is committed to equipping Christians. He knows he's going to die soon. And more than leaving a legacy, more than caring about what's on his tombstone... Peter wants to leave behind a well-equipped church to walk into the future. That is the greatest work that he could give himself to. So, that's what he's setting about to do as he writes. And at the end of the letter, in the text that we're going to look at, we actually find what the goal of this equipping is, that as Peter equips, it is meant to affect how we live. So, let's read together. Uh, I'll read. You follow along. Chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, and we'll read to the end of the letter. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters. When he, speaks of them, when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the words of our God endure forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us now as we come to Your enduring, eternal true, unerring words. Equip us with the truth of this text so that we might live for you 
and serve you well. For Christ's sake, amen. Now the main idea here in these last four verses is that until Jesus returns, be on your guard and be sure to grow. That's what Peter's trying to ram home as he, he's wrapping up his letter. He's not winding down. He encapsulates everything that he says before now with these words. And he says, until Jesus returns, be on your guard and be sure to grow. So first of all, he says that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. This is actually the backdrop for everything that we just read, the fact that Jesus will return. If you look at verse 13 that comes just before it, Peter writes, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then verse 14 begins, therefore... So it is in light of the return of Jesus and all that will come with it. You see, the Bible teaches us that after Jesus died and rose again, He ascended to heaven, leaving us with His Spirit and leaving us with the promise that He will return. And when He returns, He will fully and finally punish all evil, demonic evil, human evil. He will reward those who are His, and He will remake the heavens and the earth where those who've trusted in Him will live forever in perfect peace and joy. This doctrine of Jesus' return is precious to us as Christians. When we see it in the Scripture, it gives us hope in the midst of suffering and trials. When we see it, it motivates us to be ready for His return by living in holiness. When we see it, it fuels our mission to reach to the ends of the earth with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the false teachers of Peter's day are taking aim at this precious doctrine. They question it. They deny it. They hurl fiery arrows of doubt at it. Look up in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You hear it? Where, where is this promise? Where is Jesus? Well, and Peter responds. Look at chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter underlines Jesus will return, and what you are counting as slowness for God to fulfill His promise isn't slowness at all, it's patience. The fact of the matter is, is that God's purposes are not complete. All of God's people have not been saved yet. The shepherd is still gathering his sheep. There are more to repent, more to believe, more to come in. But you see, friends, when Christ returns, there are no more chances. 
That will be the end. Patience is, the one, is one of the virtues of God that is not eternal. At one day it will come to an end. And then judgment will come. And when Christ comes to do all that He's promised, including judge the living and the dead, there are no more chances. But God's patience now means salvation for more people. Look at verse 15. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Dear friend, it could mean, it could mean salvation for you. If you aren't trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus hasn't returned is actually a blessing to you. You may not even know it. You may not recognize it. But the fact that Jesus hasn't returned is a blessing because it means even now you can turn to Him. His salvation is still available. Jesus' blood was shed to pay the penalty for sin. His righteousness is all you need to be accepted by God, and it can be yours if you will turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And if you see that you're a sinner and you see that you need a Savior, there's no reason to delay. There's no reason to put it off. You may have been in church your whole life and you think, well, I'd be quite embarrassed if I said now that I'm not a Christian. Dear friend, it's exactly what I did when I was 15 years old. For three years I lived under the guise that I was a Christian. They had dunked me underwater in a service and all the things I had gotten the little new Christian booklet that my church handed out and I walked through it. And it wasn't until three years later that the lights actually came on. And then when I stood in the same baptistry at a later time to be baptized, it was to write what I had once professed wrongly. It is only through the righteousness of Jesus that we stand right with God. It is only by His blood that we are forgiven of sin. No matter how long you've sat in an auditorium like this and heard that message over and over again, don't delay. Don't put it off. Don't, don't think about what anybody else thinks. Think about this. Think about your, who God is. Think about the fact that you will stand before Him. And turn to him. There's nothing I'd love more than to talk with you about that if that's you. I would love after the service to talk with any one of you. Any of our members would actually love to talk to you about it. What it means to follow Jesus. Because Jesus will return. That's the backdrop here. And in light of that as a Christian, Peter goes on to talk about how we ought to live. So he says, secondly, second, our second heading is be on your guard. Be on your guard. Beginning in verse 15, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these things. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. That's the be on your guard verb. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Now, this whole doctrine about the return of Jesus, Peter says, I'm not the only apostle writing about this. The apostle Paul has written about it. And, and not all of Paul's writings are easy to understand, Peter says. 
Now, doesn't that make you feel good? Doesn't that encourage you just a little bit? I mean, when you come to Romans 9 to 11, if you know that passage and you're just like, well, what does this phrase have to do with that phrase? And you're working very hard at it. Isn't it great to know that one day Peter sat down and said, well, Paul said some of these things and you know there are difficult things to understand. Look, the apostle with Peter, he loved, I mean, they had their thing. They had to come to grips with uh, Peter's fear of man and Galatia and all of that. But I love Paul. He's writing the words of God, but do you know sometimes it's hard to understand the guy? You have to work at it. You have to work at it. You have to trust the Lord. But Peter's question isn't just, Peter's thing isn't just to point out that things are hard to understand. The question that lies behind this is what are you going to do when things are hard to understand? What are you going to do when things are a little, you're not seeing clearly here? You're just going to ignore it? Maybe it seems to say something you'd like it not to say, so you're going to change it just a bit. Just tweak it. Just fit it into the system I already have. Let's do that. Let's, 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 let's take it and, and change it just a bit. Well, Peter tells us what kind of folks actually do that. If you look in verse 16, he calls them ignorant and unstable. Ignorant is just a statement of fact. It means to be untaught. These are folks who haven't learned sound doctrine. They haven't listened to how to handle God's Word. They just, they just say whatever comes to mind, whatever strikes them. They love to hear themselves talk. Just give me a verse and I'll just say everything I happen to think about it. You see, what happens is they pour their own meaning, what they would like it to mean, into the text... That is what is called eisegesis, rather than taking the text as it is and trying to understand what the meaning that should come out of it. That is exegesis. Now, let me ask you a question. If you wrote me a serious email, would you prefer that I try to understand what you mean by the words that you use in order to understand you or would you rather I take your email and make it mean whatever I want it to mean, and then it sounds to me like you're really upset and you don't like me anymore, so this friendship's over? Now, which one, which one sounds more pleasing to you? When you write to someone, would you rather them seek to understand what you mean by the words that you have written? Yes or no? All right. Then do you know what you like best? exegesis. You like the idea of words being there and people trying to understand what the author has said by them. But these folks don't do that. And sadly, around too many small group discussions in Christianity, this is not what happens. It's, well, what do you think this might mean? And then the, the, the leader actually doesn't correct anything. He just looks at everybody who says something and says, hmm, that's interesting. And what about you? Oh, that's interesting too. You notice how that goes directly against what she said. But that could be right too. And what about you? And what about you? This is ignorance of the highest degree. If we sat around with your email and did that, you'd be quite upset. 
Now, if we want our emails to be understood for how we write them, we want to understand what our friends say by understanding their words, how much more important is it that to understand God that we understand what He has said, what He has intended to say when He speaks through His Word? Ignorance goes at it any old way. Seeking my own ways with this word. I'll make it mean what I need it to mean. This is part of why we practice what I said last week, which is expository preaching. Because when I began on Monday to prepare for today, I didn't begin with, what would I like to say about equipping Christians? I began with, what is it that the Bible says? And that is how we ought to do. What is it that the Bible says? And come to... Come to grips with that. But also, these folks are unstable. Of course they are. They're they're not standing on the solid ground of God's truth. They're standing in the quicksand of their own ideas. That's why Peter says they twist it to their own destruction. They're in quicksand and they're going down. And everybody who listens to false teachers, everybody who just listens to whatever happens to come along, you know what? They're going down too. They're going to drown in the quicksand just as fast. And in response to these characters, Peter says, Be on your guard. Verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability. My guess is none of you want to be unstable Christians. There are things, there are some very compelling and clever communicators in the realm of Christianity that claim to preach truth but are preaching ignorance. When any clever, talented, well-spoken communicator tells you you can basically disregard the Old Testament which has been done by a very popular, clever, well-spoken communicator. If you just want to learn how to communicate, go to the guy. If you want to learn about actually what the Bible says, don't. Because he wants to unhitch the Old Testament from the New. There are all kinds of popular, clever communicators in the realm of what is called the, the Christian the Christian realm, if you will. However, if you listen to them, if you are not discerning, you will drown in quicksand. And all of a sudden, what is preached when someone is actually beginning with the Bible begins to not sound as right, because that's not what that guy said, or that guy said, or this podcast, or that Well, I mean, how can you be equipped then? Well, I mean, in part, you can go to... I mean, it is good. I've done this myself all along the way. You go to elders with questions, right? You're like, I read this. How am I supposed to understand it? I heard this. How am I supposed to think about it? And that's a good thing. But you know you need to actually be equipped so that you are discerning yourself. Because your elder can't go to lunch with you and your friend every time, right? Right? They're not going to 
be able to, hold on, that's a good point. Let me call one of my elders. I'll be right back. No, we have to grow in discerning. As any expert in counterfeit currency would tell you, you need to have the knowledge and the skill to identify the real thing. That's how you identify a counterfeit, by absolutely knowing the real thing. You need to know the truth of the Bible. You need to understand how to read it, how to interpret it, how it all fits together. And then you actually need to read it. You don't need to just read about the Bible. You need to read the Bible. I had a friend who was uh, intensely into reading uh, uh, great philosophical works and thinking through them and discussing them, and he realized it had overrun his life. And so he said for one year he was going to read nothing but the Bible, nothing but the Bible. And he told me afterwards it revolutionized everything. We can do so much reading about that we don't read what actually sustains the soul. The source. We need to study it. We need to have a posture of submission to it. And friends, that is why the church must equip Christians. Because that doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It's not just me and my Bible in a closet. God has put us together in the church to be taught and to grow together. Okay? So, we have to be committed to it. So that we can know the true and recognize the counterfeit. So that we can be on our guard. The other thing Peter says is be sure to grow. Be sure to grow. Okay? In addition to being on your guard, Peter wants you to be sure to grow. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Well, there's the point of being equipped to be found by Him. It's not just an academic exercise, is it? It's not not just mental growth that Peter is after. It's spiritual growth. We cannot fall into the trap of thinking that spiritual growth means I have amassed and internalized ideas, that I can just spout them off and I can talk about them. Spiritual growth does include understanding and growing in our understanding. But it means taking that understanding of what the Bible has said and putting it into practice in our lives. So that we're not just really good hearers of the Word and note-takers of the Word, but doers of the Word. So that we're not just prepared for intellectual battles when ideas from, come from outside of us, but we're ready for spiritual battles that lie within us. In this verse, we see a few things about growth. We see the reason for growth. Do you notice that? It's right there at the front. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these. Now, what are these? These are what we already read in verse 13, but let's read it again. Verse 13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth. That's the these. Since we are waiting 
for these. We are waiting for Christ's return. We are waiting for new heavens and new earth. And that should motivate us to grow, to grow spiritually, to grow in holiness. But how, how do those two things go together? How does that reason connect with the command to be diligent, to be found without spot and blameless? Or in verse 18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we are looking forward. Look at that last phrase in verse 13. What kind of place is the new earth? What dwells there? Righteousness dwells there. We are waiting for an existence of perfect righteousness. We are waiting for a sin-free existence. How many times have you just longed for the day when sin would no longer have an effect on your mind and on your actions and on your relationships and on your body? How many times have you looked at a loved one who's being deteriorated under the curse of sin because of some medical thing going on and you long for the day that that never happens again? You ever longed for that? Of course you have. And Peter says, if you really long for a sin-free existence, pursue it now. It's It's like parents telling their kids, surprising them, Christmas morning, right? It's Christmas morning. Parents say, kids, in one week, we're going to Disney, right? Going to Disney and like all the all the the screaming peels the paint off the walls and the neighbors wonder what is happening as the screams emanate from this house and and and, and suddenly everything Disney is just everything that they think about so they eat with their Disney spoons and they watch their Disney movies and they wear their Disney pajamas every night and they wear the Mickey Mouse ears every day because in a week we are going to Disney. Do you know what's happening there? The glories of the Disney of the future are changing how they live Disney-oriented lives in the present. And how much greater is it then? Our joy and longing and excitement for the day when every tear will be wiped away and there will be no more mourning or grieving or pain because sin will have been eradicated from our experience and that's what is coming in the future and how much more should I be putting on the sin-free pajamas and squealing and delight and using my sin-free spoon and watching my sin-free movie and wearing my sin-free Mickey, Mickey well Mickey Mouse ears aren't sin-free but you see what I'm saying you understand right? That's the motivation. We're waiting on that. And that changes everything about today. He shows us the reason for growth. He shows us the approach to growth. He says, be diligent. Be diligent. Work hard. Don't be lazy. He said the same thing in chapter 1. Look at chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, because of what Christ has done, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And then he goes through a whole list of things we ought to pursue and grow in. But he says to make every effort. 
Now, it is absolutely true that all spiritual growth comes as a gift of God's grace, but our effort is part of God's ordained way of growing us. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. Commenting on that word train in 1, Peter, in 1 Timothy 4, 7, Kent Hughes writes this, it was as it remains a word with the smell of the gym in it, the sweat of a good workout. The successful Christian life is a sweaty affair. I mean, if you want to build muscle, it's not just going to happen, right? It's not just going to happen because you watch videos about how to build muscle. It's not just going to happen because you sign up for a gym membership and you never go which a lot of people are doing this month, right? This is the month to renew your membership to a place you'll never go. It's also not going to happen if you get a gym membership, you go to the gym, and then you just kind of walk around, and you get the free Tootsie Roll on the way out. It's not going to just happen. It takes sweat. It takes work. You need not look at me as an example of built muscle. However, you know this. You know it. It doesn't just happen. And spiritual growth doesn't just happen. It's not automatic. I wonder if when it comes to your spiritual growth, if you're sweating at all. I wonder if in your priorities, it's front and center. It's at the top of the list. Or is it in the peripheral? Is it, is it hidden away in a closet and you only bring out your desire to grow spiritually when company comes over? Oh, friends, we have to be diligent. Be diligent to grow. And then the goals of growth. Look what he says. Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Two goals there. First, without spot or blemish. He says something similar to how we ought to live up in verse 11 of chapter 3. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Without spot or blemish. Now, these words are used elsewhere. In fact, to be without spot or blemish, one might say, is to be like Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter calls Jesus the Lamb of God for us who is without spot or blemish. To be without spot or blemish is to be like Jesus, but it's also distinctly to not be like the characters who are false teachers. In in the Greek language, these words are the opposite. The the words in chapter 3, verse 14, without spot or blemish, are the opposite of the words used to describe the false teachers in chapter 2, verse 13. Look about halfway through that verse. They are blots and blemishes. So what Peter's saying is, the characters whose teaching you need to avoid, you also need to avoid living like them because they're blots and blemishes. You need to be non-blots and non-blemishes. You need to be like your Lord Jesus. And then he says, at peace. Well, now that may be a strange one. We have to think about that for just a minute because we know 
Romans 5, 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, that that is the position in which we rest as Christians. But there is also an experiential peace that we pursue as we live. So Philippians 4 says that as we, uh, that to not be anxious, but to pray and all these things, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. There is an experience of peace. And I think that experience is what Peter's talking about here. There's an experiential peace as we grow in holiness, as we seek to be more like Jesus, as we walk in repentance and faith, especially as we await his return. I want you to think about a household of children and mom and dad have gone out for the night and left the children, you know, the, the, the oldest is in charge, but have left the children and they know that they must behave, they must treat one another well, they must clean up after themselves. Now the children who are not concerned to please their parents, they trash the house, they're cruel to each other. But you know what? When the garage door goes up, you know what happens? There is a strike of fear right then. There is no sense of peace when that door goes up, right? Why? Because we've been absolutely disobedient to the ones who are coming home. But then you take those same children, and they want to please their parents, so they seek to live at peace. In the house, the, the garage door can go up at any time because, well, of course, they haven't gotten along the whole time and they made a mess, but they cleaned it up and they, they made amends with their siblings. Everything didn't go perfect, but they did things in such a way that when the garage door comes up, there's no shame. There's no fear. In fact, John writes in 1 John 2 that we ought to abide in Christ so that we are not ashamed at the day of His appearing. That there's no, uh uh-oh, there's nothing like that. That we have an experiential peace knowing I'm pursuing a life that pleases the Lord so the Lord can come back at any moment. I don't even have a question in my mind as to how great that day will be when the garage door comes that goes up and Jesus comes back. And Peter calls us to do that, to be found by him that way. You see, on that day, there'll be no hiding. None of us will be like children who aren't quite ready for the parents to come in the house yet. And, you know, you send out the delegate out to the garage to seem like they're doing well. It's a, How was your night out? How was dinner? Tell me all about it. Tell me about the movie. Trying to buy time, right, for all the kids inside. There'll be nothing like that. There'll be no delaying. We'll be found. Will we be found seeking to live lives without spots and blemishes? Will we be found at peace because we are sure to grow? Will we be found quite eager because we've been growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Will we respond? The way Peter ends, oh Jesus, to you be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Until 
Jesus returns, be on your guard and be sure to grow. This is why we're committed to equipping Christians for life and service. Because every one of us must be on our guard against false teaching, must be sure to be growing in Christ's likeness as we await the return of Jesus. And the right preaching and teaching of the Bible is a key component to both, to being on your guard and to being sure to grow, to knowing what true Christian doctrine is so we can be on our guard and to know what true Christian living is so that we can be sure to grow. How we need God's help collectively so that we stay committed to the preaching and teaching of the Word because this is the only way we'll be well equipped. And may God help us all individually to receive and believe and apply all that we hear so that we are equipped, so that when we walk out the door, so to speak, we don't leave our Bibles behind. It goes with us, and it speaks in every room we walk into this week. Amen? Let's pray together. Our Father, how we know ourselves to need you day by day, how we need to be equipped, how quick we are to think we've got this, to forget how we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Oh God, forgive us for the days, the hours, the weeks that we have left our Bible behind and lived as if all was well. We are thankful that the day of Jesus' return is certain. That while its timing is unknown to us, its certainty is not unknown to us. We cling to your promise, Lord. And as we cling to your promise, I pray you will give us grace to be on our guard. To be on our guard against all the messages that swirl around us. Not simply from the world, but from those who claim to be speaking for you. Lord, we would ask that you would silence false teachers. How much harm it does to receive false teaching. We pray you will guard us as a congregation. Help us to never wander off point. To never wander into speculation. But to always seek to get out of your word what you have said. And then give us grace to be sure we are growing, putting into practice what it is we have heard. And so even this week, help us to put these things into practice by being in the Scripture, by reading it and studying it and meditating on it and memorizing it and being eager to hear the right preaching and teaching of it. We ask all of this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who will return in glory and who even now is with us in his spirit. Amen.